0: From the much-loved 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, we read that there are by three things: faith, hope, and love. Hope is not as often mentioned, however, as faith and love. I hope to be at least partially rectify that situation. Psychiatrist Carl Menninger has noted that the Encyclopedia Britannica prints column upon column on faith and love, but nothing on hope. And yet, hope is one of the big three. Martin Luther said, everything that is done in the world is done by hope. What is hope? Biblical hope is more than just a wish list, is a conviction of an unseen future. It is the conviction that tomorrow will be better than today and that the future is bright with promise. I wonder how many of you feel that way today. Throughout this land, there is a kind of pall of hopelessness that is in evidence in so many ways People are not real optimistic about that which is to come. There are people who are lacking in hope. How about you? Do you believe with all your heart tomorrow will be better, than today? That the future is bright with promise? Hopelessness comes through many ways. The feeling that there's no way out. The things are bleak and they're not going to get any better might come through an illness You hear about that you have this dreaded disease and hopelessness starts to sink in, or it might be financial worries, or it might come through a difficult marriage and you see no way out, no hope that the response will ever change, you're sad and depressed about it, or perhaps it comes through uh, the child raising process, you've through so much with your children and you just don't know if there's any sign that this child is going to turn out all right. Or maybe it's just a general emptiness, a general meaningless about life. You just keep going with emotions, but it doesn't seem like there's really much purpose to it. These are some of the reasons that people experience a sense of hopelessness. But really, you do have hope. There is only one truly hopeless place And that is hell. And in hell there is no hope because there is no God. And the future will never be better than than the present. Dante in his Inferno, a famous literary work of the Middle Ages, had over his entrance to hell these words, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. But you're not in hell. You're on earth. You're in a place where there is hope, and God's grace is still available to you, and God's power is still here. Hopelessness is godlessness. But the feeling of depression and temptation to hopelessness is something we all do experience if we are honest with ourselves and with each other. Even the great saints of old experienced depression, the temptation to hopelessness. Martin Luther had his bouts with depression Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers from the 19th century, experienced periodic depressions. They were in good company because even David, the sweet Psalmist of Israel, had his times when he was very, very down. David had his problems. If you take your Bibles and look at Psalm 42 with me, you will see the time when David was at his lowest. Psalm 42. Find the middle of your Bible. This psalm is written in the winter of David's soul. This was the January of his life. Christmas is gone, spring seems like it's all oh so far away, and you're in the middle of long dark days and cold weather. It is a time when you just have to have faith that things are gonna get be better. And that's the way it was in David's life when he wrote Psalm 42, most likely at a time when he was exiled from his own throne by his own son, Absalom. As I read Psalm 42, perhaps you will be able to identify with some of the feelings you feel coming out of this psalm. Ask yourself, as I read it, how does David feel? Why does he feel this way? What questions does he ask out of how you feel, because these are the same things that you need to do in your life if you're going to live a life of hope. Read with me silently as I read out loud. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O oh God. My soul first for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitudes, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By the day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I thank you, God, my rock. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me. Saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why is so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. What struggle is, is going on in this, in this song? There are times when he fights to have faith and fights to rejoice, and other times he just seems overwhelmed and, He brings back good memories and in the midst of those present circumstances that tend to destroy him. He talks to himself and he talks to God and he observes what's going on around him in turmoil. Have you ever had feelings like that? Look at the words that he uses to describe his feelings. He's panting after something. He's thirsting after something. He has tears. Night and day. He's downcast. He's disturbed. He feels forgotten. He is in mourning. He feels oppressed. Have you ever felt that way? Or are you a stranger to all the complete emotions?
1: Why does he feel that way?
0: Now, here is what's so interesting about this. David is uh, truly a saint. He doesn't. seem to be overwhelmed by anything as much as he's overwhelmed by a feeling of separation from God. You see, he finds himself in the land of the Jordan, on the heights of Hermon, on Mount Mizar. Look at that? He belongs on Mount Zion. That's his home. Jerusalem, that's where he lives. But that's not only where he lives, that's where he worships. And what does he remember? He doesn't just remember the nice warm cozy palace that he used to live in, or the TV set he could plop himself in front of, or the refrigerator that he could open up and get a a nice cool drink whenever he wanted. He remembers those wonderful worship services that he could do again. He remembers church. He remembers when he gathered together with the people of God, and there was a huge crowd in the church and people, praised God together, were filled with joy. And that's what he misses the most. He says, when can I go and meet with God? When can the good old days come back? I hear something similar when I receive letters from retirees who have moved away from here or uh, who are people who are transplanted because of their job situation. People who write back and say, Oh, the thing I just most about my former home was just gathering in God's house, my church home, where <coughs> I heard God's word and we sang His praises, and I gathered together with the people I love. That's what I the most about life back in Long Island. Hearing from shut for example, one shut who one of you brought to the Christmas Eve service and they came through the doors and it was like their whole face lit up. They said, Oh, it feels so good to be back. And that's the kind of feeling David had when he thought about the exile and like how good it's gonna feel when I finally get back to God's house and I can go to church again. And I can be with God's people and hear his word and sing his praises. It reminds me of those Russians who And the Billy Graham crusade in October came screaming forward, praying and weeping. God was always in Russia. He never left. But they weren't allowed to do it publicly. They weren't allowed to gather and worship. They weren't allowed to be free and express their praise. And hear God's word being proclaimed. And now they could do it again. They were filled with joy. Billy Graham said, I've never seen such hunger for spiritual things. We believe this is only the beginning of a movement of God and all the republics. Like the psalmist said, when can I go and meet with God? What a healthy thirst that is.
1: What a, what a
0: wonderful, awful feeling that is to so desire to be with God in worship. It's better to be miserable if you're away from God's house than it is to be perfectly satisfied. If you can stay away from God's house and feel perfectly content, then you have that perfect contentment of death. You see, a dead person has no appetite. He desires nothing, he wants nothing, he's perfectly satisfied just the way he is. But when we have the Spirit of God within us, we yearn for those times when we can gather together and praise God and worship Him. And what a sad thing it is when those things are only memories. Like it was for David. In verse 4, he thought about those things he used to do that he couldn't do anymore. You know, there's a lot of people who feel that way today in our land. There are people who when they go to church on a Sunday morning, they go into an empty sanctuary that used to be full. They go into a cold and a silent sanctuary that used to be warm with happy faces. They go into a church where there are no little children to make noise during the sermon. It is utterly silent. And there is a wall of death over it. And they have the Spirit of God in them. And they look around with tears in their eyes. And with tears they say, I remember the time when this church was full. Look what has happened to us. When can I gather again with my loved ones in God's house? Never... Uh, take what you have for granted in this church. What a blessing it is, to come to church on a Sunday morning and expect there to be a lot of other people here. And expect there to be joy and praises and to hear the word of God and a friendly handshake, the people that you know and love. This is a tremendous blessing. And it is something that we should always give thanks and praise to God for. That we have a place that is our church home and where the Holy Spirit has blessed him. David didn't have that in Psalm 42, and so he was weeping and crying out, so thirsty for fellowship with the saints. And he experienced life as in verse 7, an incessant pounding of the waters of adversity. It's like going to the beach on a day when the waves were high, waiting out of there and getting smacked over by one wave and then finally scrambling to your feet, turning around just about the time, you turn around another way comes, smacks you and knocks you head over heels and you finally get your feet You get up again and you get smacked again finally say, when is this going to stop? Of course, then you have the opportunity to walk out, but some people go through life and that's what they experience. They just keep smacked and turned over upside down and they wonder, when am I going to get some relief? And that's the way David felt in Psalm 42. He was just smacked, right and left, up and down. And then there were the taunts of his enemies, the people who hated him, the people that were gloating inside that he was having a tough time. And they also said, Oh, you're the guy that uh, believes in God? Where is he now? Why did that, did you? Look where you ended up. And David Ask God, too. Where are you? Would you please answer me? Verses 3 and 10, he feels the taunting of his enemies and God's enemies. and wonders how long God is going to put up with this. These are the three questions that he asks. He asks, when? Verse 2. Don't you ask when when you're in this kind of situation, when you're tempted to give up to hopelessness? When am I going to get out of this treadmill I'm in? When is deliverance going to come? When are days going to be brighter? How long am I going to have to put up with this? Another question that David asks in verse 9 is why? You'll we ask that question as well? Why uh, do I have to go through with this? Why me? Why now? I feel forgotten. Why have you forgotten me, God? It's a question that's directed toward God. We go through difficult times, depressing times. And another question is a question that we ask ourselves. If we are truly God's people, we ask, why am I so downcast and disturbed? I'm not supposed to be this way. I'm a Christian. I I shouldn't be depressed, but I am. Why? then David starts to preach to himself. He finds his answers. Well, sometimes you just have to do that to yourself. You just have to sit yourself down and stare yourself in the face and start preaching to yourself. And that's what David did. He used self-talk. I've read from some of these uh, programs that are supposed to help you to be a successful person that uh, your success depends on how you talk to yourself. If you are a person who says, I can't, I give up, it's hopeless, I quit, then you will never succeed. You have to speak positively to yourself. And that's what David does. But his hope is not all in himself. He's not talking about, you can do it. But he's saying, put your hope in God. And there's a big difference between self-confidence and confidence in God. Put your hope in God. Many turn away from God in the day of trouble. And what a tragedy that is. For your day of trouble is your day of decision. Where will you look for hope? So many people, when they begin their walk with the Lord, if they are not mature in that walk, they assume that everything is going to sail along easy for them. As long as they're good. But the examples of our Holy Scripture tells us that that's not going to be true. You're going to have tough times. And what you do in those tough times will determine your destiny forever. Either you will turn back to God and go straight for Him, or else you will turn away from Him and say, You disappointed the God, and I'm mad at you, and I'm not going to go to your church. I'm not going to hear your you. I'm going to hope in something else. But what a tragic decision that is. Because hope placed anywhere else is misplaced hope. And it leads to hopelessness. The farther you move from God, the farther you move toward hopelessness. The scriptures repeat over and over how important it is to place your hope in God. And let him be the focus of your hope. Psalm 38, 15. In thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord, my God. Psalm 71 verse 5, Thou art my hope, O Lord God. I will hope continually and will yet praise Thee more and more. Psalm 130 verse 7, Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy. Psalm 146 verse 5, Happy is he whose hope is in the Lord, his God. Jeremiah 17, 7, Blessed is the man whose hope the Lord is. Joel 3 verse 16, The Lord will be the hope of his people. 1 Peter 3.15, faith and hope should be in God. Don't place your hope in anything else or anyone else. Don't place your hope in the doctor if you are sick. Don't place hope, your hope in the lawyer if you've been a Don't place your hope in your pastor. Don't place your hope in the government. Don't place your hope in yourself. If you're going to have hope, you need God. That's the only place you're going to get it. If you're going to have God, you need Christ. There are those who seek after God but avoid Christ. There is no hope to be found apart from God, and there is no God to be found apart from Christ. The psalmist says to himself, Put your hope in God, my Savior. Colossians 1.27 says Christ in you your hope of glory. 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Titus 2 verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you are going to find hope, you must come directly to Jesus Christ. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so that all who were stricken by the plague would gaze at that serpent, And be healed, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that all who believe in him will be saved, so that all who gaze in him might have their hope renewed. You've got to focus on Jesus Christ. He is God in the flesh. He is God's answer to your hopelessness, and there is none other. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. There is no salvation in any other name given among men. If we are going to find Christ, then we must go to the cross. Some use the name Christ, but think of it as a sort of an ethereal godliness that resides in the heart of every man. They call it the Christ in mankind. This is not anything but an illusion. Jesus Christ is a real, live, flesh and blood human being. He is God in the flesh who shed his very real, very red blood and let his very real body die a very real and painful death to pay for your and my very real sins to save us from a very real eternity in the very real flames of hell. The 1:23 one says, we are warned to be not moved away from the hope of the gospel 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 says, God has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. The gospel is the message that God loved you so much and gave Jesus to die on the cross to forgive your sins so that you could have eternal life. And that's what grace is, a free gift given to you through Christ and through his merits and his accomplishments on the cross. The cross is where hope is born. The cross is where we find a Savior who pays for our sins and releases us from the prison of hopelessness and despair. The cross is where we find a loving Savior who sympathizes with us. For on the cross, He sympathizes. He feels with us. He feels everything we've ever felt and much worse. He feels loneliness. He feels shame. He feels pain. He feels rejection. He feels the pains of death itself. Whatever you are feeling, he has felt it for you already. we find it there on the cross. If we are to find hope, we must find God. If we are to find God, we must find Christ. If we are to find Christ, we must find the cross. And finally, if we are to find the cross, we must find it in the Bible. This is the only place where the cross is proclaimed I recently received a mailing from the American Bible Society. I told the story of 1945 of a young man in Russia who traded a cow for a Bible. Now even today, a cow is quite valuable. It costs quite a lot of money to get a good, strong, healthy, well-producing, beef-producing cow. But in 1945 in Russia, a cow is much more valuable. And this young man said, I need something more than I need a cow. I need hope. And so he traded his cow for a Bible. He was indeed panting and thirsting for God and for hope. Now in Russia, they are introducing the Bible into all of their schools. Their soul has been slaked with thirst for hope. And through the mission money collected throughout the United States, Including much that comes from this church, the Bible is being placed now in every home in Moscow. I hope the same day can be said that it's being done for every home in the United States. Because at the rate we're going, we are heading for hopelessness. We are getting deeper and deeper into negativism and blackness and despair and hopelessness. You want to know why? we are going away from God. That's right. If we go away from God as an individual, or as a family, or as a congregation, or as a community, or as a school, or as a nation, we are sinking into hopelessness. And unless God intervenes, and Jesus Christ comes back, or we've changed we someday will be so desperate for hope that we won't care what the separation of church and state said by the ACLU lawyer. We'll say, give us a Bible! Get the heck out of here. Hope. And God grant us hope through his holy scriptures before we sink in low as those poor people in the former Soviet Union. The psalmist's source of strength the psalms, the psalms revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, as it said in verse 8, by day the Lord directs his love at night, his song is within me. Because the Holy Spirit ministered to him by psalms, he could sing those psalms and he could fill his mind back up with hope. The Bible is God's song that sets our hearts singing. Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says, through the comfort of Scripture, we might have hope. The better we know God's word, the more we will bubble over with hope. Through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit works hope and every other spiritual treasure. So that through every seemingly hopeless situation, you will be enabled to sing with the psalmist, I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Are you looking for hope today? Come to God. Come to God's house where there's a feast of hope. If you are looking for God, come to Christ. If you're looking for Christ, find him on the cross. And how shall you find the cross? Open your holy scriptures. Over the gates of hell, Dante conscribes, Abandon all hope, he who enters here. Over the gates of the church that belongs to our Savior, we have a better inscription. Abandon all hopelessness, he who enters here. May God grant it, for Christ's sake. Amen. the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds today. Amen. These people will learn the whole Old Testament. I went to a seminary and spent years to learn the Old Testament. Well, I tell you, they just have to come and see. They will walk through the Bible. The instructors have a unique way of teaching from key words, hand signs, and turning participants into a large mass. This makes learning easy and fun. Why, if my people had this kind of teaching, maybe, well, oh well, listen, I'll see you January 22nd and 23rd, and don't forget, on Friday, 7.30 to uh, 10, and Saturday morning, 9 to 12. Thank you, Moses. <laughs> Well, Moses has given you word. Uh, the word. The sign up table is right there in the back, and uh, we'd like you to sign up.